0: Psalm chapter number 60. I actually really enjoyed studying uh, this psalm this week and I'm going to preach Psalm 60 and Psalm 61 to you tonight. Um, So it'll be twice as long as normal. But uh, I'm going to preach both those psalms to you and I hope and pray to be a blessing and a help to you. Uh, Notice the title and pray for me as I try to get through it. Uh, I practice these things, I spell them out, I listen to them online, you know, find so Alexander Scorby or somebody who knows what they're doing, and I get them down. I mean, you would not believe how good I sound in my office uh, when nobody's listening. It is like, wow, that's amazing. And then I get up here and I'm like, just forget it, because my brain just ties up like a pretzel. So have mercy on me, okay, if I butcher this. But to the chief musician, upon Shushan Iduth, Mishkam of David. To teach when he strove with, here it is, Aram Nahariam. Good enough? Yes, Sound like I practiced? I did. Not sure if it's right or not, but hey, you know, whatever. And with Aram Zobah, when Joab returned and smote of Edom in the valley of salt 12,000. O oh God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast displeased. Thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again, thou hast made the earth to tremble, thou hast broken it, heal the breaches thereof for it shaketh, thou hast showed thy people hard things, thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment, thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah, that thy beloved may be delivered save with thy right hand and hear me. God hath spoken in his holiness, I will rejoice, I will divide Shechem and mete out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the strength of mine head, Judah is my lawgiver, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe, Philistia, triumph thou because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, which hath cast us off? And thou, God, which didst not go out with our armies, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. All right, we'll read the next chapter as we preach through it. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, and I thank you, Lord, for your words. I thank you for writing such an absolutely amazing book, God. And I am so honored and so privileged, God, that you would. Allow me to spend my whole life uh, studying this book and trying my best to teach it and preach it. And Father, I pray now tonight that you'd put your hand on me, that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you'd help me, Lord, to bring to mind the things that I've studied. And I pray, Father, that these things would come out the right way and that you would just use these two chapters tonight in our hearts and lives, God, not only to give us a better understanding of our Bible and of sound doctrine, but then to minister these Psalms to our hearts. And help us as we try, Lord, our best to serve you one day at a time. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Psalm chapter number sixty is a very interesting psalm because it, it when you read the title, all right, and you go back there to First Chronicles eighteen and Second Samuel eight and First Kings eleven, you see a full definition of. What was happening when David wrote this psalm, the the context of what David's talking about. He's talking about when Joab returns after he smites a bunch of people in battle. And when you go back and look at those battles, do you know what happened in every one of those battles? David and his men absolutely obliterated the enemy. In every battle, God was there. In every battle, God's people won. In every battle, David was completely victorious and wiped out the enemy on an unbelievable level. I mean, they're killing thousands and thousands and thousands of the enemy. It was completely successful in every way. Then you look at the chapter. With that in mind, if you go back, and I'm not going to take the time to do it, but I went back and I read all of those stories, and I read through all of those battles, and I'm like, man, that is unbelievable that he's writing this psalm in context of, and the title of it is totally diametrically opposed to everything that's being said in the psalm. Now, you really want to get messed up. Then what you do is you go to the modern-day commentators, and you see what they have to say about it. People that don't rightly divide the word of truth. People that do not understand rightly dividing your Bible and a pre premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ and a and pre-tribulation rapture and then a tribulation on this earth. Men that don't really understand rightly dividing their Bible try to comment on this stuff and it's absolutely absurd. It makes no sense whatsoever. They begin saying that there were some victories, there, some losses there somewhere and some things, but that's not found anywhere in the scriptures. David's having a completely victorious time and he sits down and he writes a psalm like this that has nothing to do with the victories he just had. I got to thinking about it and I'm going to give you a couple of different possibilities, a couple of different thoughts on it. When I went and I looked, I realized that In the chapter right before 1 Chronicles 18, when the battles were fought, was 1 Chronicles 17. And right before 2 Samuel 8, 2 Samuel 7. And what you find is those are the places, those are the chapters where David had something in his heart that he wanted to do for God. He wanted to go ahead and he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And God said, not you, you can't do it. God stopped him from doing something that his heart truly desired to do. When I look at David and David's life and I watch the heart of David, I recognize that God called and anointed that man to do something. God enabled him to do some things, but it doesn't look to me like everything God called David to do, David really wanted to do. I mean, I think David got down there and saw Goliath and it was like, man he's blaspheming God. Nobody's doing anything about it. And if nobody's going to do anything about it, I guess I will, because somebody's got to do something about this. But I don't think in David's mind he went down there thinking he was going to be any part of the battle at all. I don't think David was really a bloody killer. I don't think David really desired to go out there and to get into all these battles. It was like life and the calling of God and the things that were thrust him into these positions and he's doing what God would have him to do. But in David's heart, he wanted to build a temple to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God Almighty. He wanted to build a place of worship to his heavenly father. That's what was in David's heart. And God said, no, you cannot do what's in your heart to do, but I'll let your son do it. And God gives him a long promise that you're going to, we'll come across in the next chapter in chapter 61. God promises him and generations after him that God's not going to take away his house and like he did the house of Saul and God would allow mercy on his son unlike he gave it to Saul. God gave him some great promises and this overwhelmed David's heart and he was so grateful to God. I see in David a very tender man. I see in David a man that really wants to walk with God. And I don't know, this is pure supposition, I guess. My thought, just something I considered that doesn't really hurt to stop and think about because I've experienced this in my own life that even though there's victories going on all around you, even though everything seems to be going real great, a lot of times those victories aren't really the victories you actually want anyhow. It's not exactly what you want to be doing anyhow. And in in context of that, that is the only thing I could think of that might have been in the back of the David's mind, in the back of David's heart, that would maybe have gotten him discouraged at this time because here everything is going so great, I can't think of anything else, and really it made me stop and think about myself. I mean, a lot of times when there's victories going on, that is when the devil attacks. A lot of times when I'm feeling great, that is when I get discouraged. A lot of times when I have no good reason to be discouraged, I wind up discouraged. And I don't know if it's just me or if you're the same way or if it's the way the devil works or what it is. But sometimes what starts coming out of us is completely opposite to what you would think would be coming out of us. Is that making sense to you at all? But here's the amazing thing about God. Here's the amazing thing about your King James Bible. David's writing this stuff, obviously in a position of discouragement. Obviously in a position of fear. He's, wilt not thou, O God, cast us off O oh God, which hath cast us off, oh, oh thou and thou, O oh God, which did not go out to war with our armies. I mean, that's verse number 10. He's not really being very positive. He says in verse 1, O oh God, thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us, thou hast, thou hast been displeased. O oh, thou, turn thyself to us. He's obviously really troubled at God. But he's full of the Spirit of God at the same time. You know what the devil will do to you sometimes when you're discouraged? He'll come up and tell you you're full of the devil. Well, maybe you're discouraged because you're under an attack of the devil. Maybe you're discouraged because life ain't turned out the way you wanted it. Maybe you're discouraged by circumstances or things that have happened to you. Maybe you're not really as backslid as you think you are. Maybe you're just human and you need to give yourself a break. Because David does not seem to me to be on cloud nine here in this passage. And it doesn't make any sense as you look at the title and go back and find out what God was doing at the time. It makes no sense that David would be coming across like he's coming across. But here's the power of this book. You know what this is? It's a tribulation passage. You know what God's doing in David's heart and in his mind and through his pen that he's left preserved from that generation forever? Look at verse number 4. It's a tribulation passage. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah. You know where that Selah comes from, right? I've told you over and over again that's a tribulation passage. You know what they're told to do? They're told to run to Selapitra or Selapitra, which is a, a, a city up in the mountains. It's a rock city. And that's what they're commanded to do in the tribulation period because a rock city is a lot more defensible and a lot harder to penetrate when you're attacking somebody. It's a much safer place to be. And God has instructed Israel in the tribulation period, run up to of Petra and stay there because you'll survive for a little while while you're waiting there. It's a lot like Taiwan, right? You guys realize China's right there. China have, militarily speaking, would have absolutely no problem obliterating Taiwan if it wants to. But the problem is the geography of Taiwan. Actually, the geography of Taiwan makes it very, 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 very difficult. And it will be very costly for China if they try to invade Taiwan. You understand that, right? It's simply the geography of where they're at. God sends Israel up. He says to flee into the mountains. In Matthew, I believe it's 24 or something like that. He says they're to flee up into the mountains. Why? That's La It's in Edom. Now look at the passage. God, thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us. Isn't that true about Israel? Thou hast been displeased. Yes, yes, he has been. O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Revelation 6.12, Revelation 11.13 and 19, Revelation 16.18. You know what God's doing in the tribulation period? He's hitting the earth with hardcore, and I mean hardcore, earthquakes like has never been seen in the history of humanity. God's shaking the entire earth. Verse 3. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Well, not back in 1 Chronicles 18 or 2 Samuel 8 or 1 Kings 11. In the tribulation period, 100%. Verse 4, thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee that it may be displayed because of the truth. You know what his banner is, Song of Solomon? His banner is love. Very interesting how David fits that in there right in the context of talking about all the harsh things that have come upon them and the judgment of God that's fallen. And I just want to say, I am so grateful for a God that loves me even when he chastises me. If I didn't have that confidence tonight, man, I wouldn't make it. I promise you, I wouldn't make it. I'm so glad I know my Heavenly Father has never put a weapon on me. He's never corrected me. He's never done it to destroy me. His banner over me is love. My Heavenly Father loves me. And He will not allow anything. He's not there dishing out anything to try to destroy me or to hurt me. But boy, when your problems start, the devil will try to tell you it's God. Verse 5. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me. God has spoken in His holiness, I will rejoice I will divide Shechem and mete out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Enemies of Israel. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia shall triumph, that triumph thou because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? What city is that? That's Selipitra. Who will lead me into Edom? Where is Selipitra located? In Edom. Where does God tell them to run to in the tribulation? A rock city. Now watch this. What not thou, O God, which has cast us off? O thou, and thou, O God, which didst go out, which didst not go out with our armies. You know what God's allowing to happen in the tribulation period? The armies of the Antichrist, the armies of the world, are about to completely obliterate Israel. You know what you've got in Psalm 60? You've got a tribulation passage. Look at verse 11. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Ain't that the truth? Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Well, that's how it's going to wrap up, isn't it? Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of that tribulation period. He's that rock hewing out out of the mountain in Daniel chapter number 2 who rolls down and just absolutely wipes them out. He's going to march through Edom and Moab on his way to the east bank of Jordan when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period in his second advent. He goes right through this area. You know what he's laying out for you in verse 6 through verse 9? He's laying out for you what the Lord's fixing to do at the end of the tribulation period. Now, chapter 61. To the chief musician upon Neganah, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, watch it. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's the subject for tonight is lead me to the rock. See, I just showed you that in chapter number 60. He's writing this psalm at a time in his life when it doesn't really match. And yet God Almighty is doing something David could have never imagined. Any onlooker would look at him and say, why are you writing that right now? That doesn't make any sense. Shut your mouth. You're making a fool out of yourself. That's not even happening. And yet God knew what God was doing when God had him penning that stuff down. Whatever mood he was in, however whatever perspective he had, the Holy Spirit of God was on it and was giving us an example and giving Israel something for the tribulation period and I'm glad today I don't have to worry about the great tribulation because my rock is Jesus Christ and he's rapturing me out before the great tribulation and I'm thankful for that. I got a different rock but he's the same rock at the same time. And David said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I and let me say in my tribulation, not the great tribulation but in my tribulations in this life, you know what I want? I want somebody to lead me right to the rock that's what I, You know what I need? I need a rock in my life. I need a rock in my life. I'll tell you this much, and I'm saying this genuinely. I ain't no rock. I ain't no rock. I know how to act like one. I know how to make everybody think I'm one. But between me and God, when I'm alone, I ain't no rock. But I'm telling you, I got a rock. Man, if somebody will lead me to the rock that is higher than I, boy, when my heart is overwhelmed, you know where I go? I go to the rock of ages. I'm so grateful that I have a rock. And man, it's a blessing too that I got it so good. I don't even have to worry about chapter number 60. I'm glad it's there. I thank God for it. It helps me make sense of my Bible. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful picture. But I'm glad that I don't have to worry about the great tribulation. I'm glad I'm not running to some city in Edom somewhere hoping to survive. I'm glad I've got a rock that I stand on. He said unto Peter, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus Christ is that rock. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Just like in the tribulation period, they're not going to prevail against Israel. So in the church age, it's not going to prevail against you. But you know what you need to do? You need to keep your feet on the rock. Notice how to do that. First of all, in verse number one, you need to attend to prayer. He says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know what we need to do, folks? We need to attend to prayer. You say, preacher, that's not what it's talking about. He's saying, God, attend unto my prayer. 100% correct. He's telling God, please attend to my prayer. That means to be present. That means to show up. That means to be a part to pay attention to. He's asking God to attend to his prayer. But you know what? I got out of that before I even started talking to God about that because I did talk to God about this. Before I thought about that, I said, wait a second. How can I ask God to attend to something I'm not doing? You know what a problem in this generation? I will guarantee you a problem in this generation is. A problem with this generation is we are a prayerless people. We don't pray like we ought to. One thing every person in this room can do is you can pray. Now listen, I understand, I believe with all my heart, that the expectation on your prayer life is not exactly the same as mine. I'm not trying to say that everybody has to pray for a certain length of time every day and that you go, all oh, got to be prayer warriors and all this kind of silly stuff. I'm not even talking about that. Is that not part of my job description? Is that not why they supported the, the, the apostles and you support your pastor? Why? So they can give themselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer, right? I realize that's a major part of who and what I am, and I'm not trying to put that burden on you, but I will say this, even though that's what I'm supposed to be doing all the time, and there's a calling on my life to do that, and my time is freed up to do it, it is still difficult for me to pray. That is not something that comes to me as a gift, although some Christians do have that gift. I said some Christians do have that gift, and if you have the gift to pray... Good night, man. We need you. You have no idea how much we need you. And if you got the gift to pray, I will guarantee you the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you distracted. I listened to a thing by, by a neuroscientist this week, and, and one of his suggestions was don't even pick up your cell phone for the first hour of every day. Because of what it does in your brain. And how it sets your day off, he said, you'll be shocked how much different your day is if you refuse to pick your phone up for the first hour every day when you get up, don't even touch it. I'm just saying, I won't, I won't beat that hobby horse. I'm just saying, we ought to be attending to prayer. Amen. I mean, if you have an opportunity to witness or pray, you know what you should do? You should pray. Well, I have time to go out door knocking or I have time to pray. Then stay home and pray. Why? Why? Because if you stay home and pray, then when you're stopped at the gas station and you're walking through the grocery store, God might be setting something up for you in answer to prayer. I'm talking about prayer. I mean, we need to be a praying people. And the problem is most of us don't pray. We don't take the time to talk to God. How, how, what could be more important than taking time to get a hold of God, especially in your tribulation, especially when you're not happy, especially when things aren't going well? Shouldn't you be on your face trying to get a hold of your father? He wants to hear from you. You know what shocks me? He is never too busy. No. Now, I, I don't claim to be, I don't even think I am the best dad there is. I, I, okay, I, I'm a work in progress and I want to be a good dad and I'm trying, but time's going so fast I don't have much more time left to even get this one right. You know, they're all going to be gone before you know it. No. So I try to have time for my kids. You know what I find myself doing all the time? Not right now. When the doors are shut, just because they're glass means nothing. When they're shut, I'm working. I'm not here. I don't exist. Don't knock. Don't stand there and wave. Move on. Unless it's an emergency, right? Right. Dad, can I talk to you uh, later? (laughs) Why? Well, because I'm human. Do you know what God Almighty, he never says, not right now. You know you can't wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning? You can't catch him at an inconvenient time. Right. You can't find him too busy. When one of the kids are talking to me, if another one comes up and starts talking to me, you know what I say? Honey, would you please wait till your sister's done? <laughs> okay, my kids are staring at me. I can't even look at them right now, right? <laughs> I'm like, shut up, she's talking. Right? Yes, sir. Do you know you don't have to wait for your brother or sister to stop talking to talk to your Heavenly Father? Because he can talk to them all at one time and cover all the bases and he actually knows. You know what you don't have to do? You don't even have to go deep trying to explain yourself because you're afraid he's misunderstanding you. Because you know, he knows exactly what you mean. Actually, he knows what you need to mean. (laughs) I mean, go read it. Go read Romans chapter 8. He knows what you need to mean. And he knows how to take what you're saying and take it up. The Holy Spirit takes it up to the Father and kind of makes sure he fixes it up before it gets there for you. I'm, telling, I'm talking to you about a miracle. You, you pass this on to our Pentecostal brethren. You want a miracle? Learn to pray. He says, attend unto my prayer. It's an amazing thing to me that he can ask God to show up. Well, the reason he's asking God to show up is because of what he does in his own personal life. He's asking God for the practical help he needs. Here's one thing that I really believe with all my heart. It seems like people that pray in good times, Right? Begin to struggle praying in bad times. Now it's just, just me. I'm, I don't have a Bible verse to show you this or anything like that. But it's just my observation. Some of what myself, some of my observation of talking to other Christians, and it seems like the people that like really get praying when everything falls apart and tribulations on them, and they're just panicking and they're worried, really start. Then as soon as everything gets good, guess what? They struggle to pray in the good times. Not weird. I think it's something about our human nature. You know what we need to learn to do? We need to learn to pray all the time. God Almighty will show up at your prayers. God Almighty will speak to you. He'll deal with you. He'll help you. I mean, go through the Bible and look at him. Look at Daniel in his prayer life. Look at Jesus Christ in his prayer life. Look at Job in his prayer life. Look at Nehemiah in his prayer life. We see prayer all over our Bibles. The disciples didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe when we get some preachers that get a little bit more mature, we'll get some preachers that actually start preaching. Instead of wanting the touch on the public performance, trying to get the touch in private might be more important than the touch on the public performance. Just a suggestion. It says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. David relied on God to attend to his prayers and trusted that God hears and answers prayers. But notice something else. David relied on God for his strength. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Your heart ever get overwhelmed? It doesn't have to be tragedy. Sometimes, do you know what the number one killer of Christians is? Mundane, routine duty. It's monotony. It's just coming back to church again tonight when you'd rather sit at home. It's just just the regular realities of the Christian life. It's overwhelming. And it bothers you because you know you ought to be on fire for God. You know you ought to be excited. You're feeling guilty about dragging yourself in here, which is probably the devil. That's a good thing you came anyways. I mean, sometimes when I don't feel like it, rather than getting all bummed out about it, I don't feel like it, but I'm here. That's a victory, man. (laughs) That's a blessing. Yeah, I'm here. Well, your attitude ain't right. Well, so what? I'm here, man. I'm doing right. I did the right thing. I mean, I don't always feel like doing. I don't care. How many of you parents are like, listen, honey, do you really feel like obeying? No. Did you obey? They obeyed. Okay, whatever. What are you going to do? Pick on them like crazy? Like, try?" Crack their psyches because they, well, you better, you better actually mean it. Do you mean it? Do you really mean it? Are you really happy? Just do what I said. Okay, cool. We're good. If they got attitude, let them get over it. Whatever. As long as they're not being disrespectful with it. Right. Amen. No. You know what you do when you come to church? You don't feel like it? You know what you are? You don't realize that you're overwhelmed. But you came anyways. You know what? David relied on God for his strength. He realized that he didn't have what it took. You know what I get sick of? I get sick of watching Christians always trying to pretend like they're stronger than they are. You know why we don't get help sometimes? We won't admit what David admitted. I'm overwhelmed. You ever, you ever get that, that wrong somebody that just like chronically uses the phrase, like, how you doing? Better than I deserve. I'm not against that attitude. That's a great attitude. If you were sincere about it, God bless you. But come on, man. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna, let's be real for a second. You, you came and you tithed more than you could afford to tithe. You get in the car and you're on your way home and you blow out a tire. So you go to the tire shop. I need a tire. Oh, no, no. You have to have all the way around. Why? Because it's an all-wheel drive and if you don't, it's going to ruin this and that and the other thing. And we better get you this. And you're like, that just turned into a thousand bucks. 1,500 bucks? I mean, like, what are you talking Oh, no, in that car, you have to have a specialty tire. Like, dude, seriously? You always feel like you're doing better than you deserve. Remember I just said you just dropped in a tie check you couldn't afford to drop in? I'm saying that happens to us sometimes in the Christian life. Sometimes we think we're going to get something that we don't get or we think God's going to work away that it doesn't work out that way and we sometimes get a little overwhelmed. We're not quite as strong as we think we are and in that moment you better remember there's a rock you can get to and you better attend to prayer because that's the only way to get your mind straightened up sometimes. It's the only way to get your heart back on track. I don't feel like praying I rarely feel like praying. Just be it honest with you, I rarely feel like it. There have been times when it hits me, just sort of an urge, just sort of a need, a, a, a desire. But rarely. Most of the time I pray because I need to attend to prayer. And I want God to be there when I start praying. But if you want God to show up, you better show up. You know why most Christians don't have any strength? their feet aren't on the rock. I know eternally secure, I get all that. I'm talking about the spiritual application to being on that rock. Attending to prayer is being led to the rock, abiding in Him. Look at verse number 3. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. You know what abide means? It means to rest to dwell, to wait for, to remember, to bear or endure. <laughs> to bear or endure. Yeah, that's one of the meanings, meanings of the word abide. I cannot abide this. You know what you got to do? You got to abide in Jesus Christ. When my heart is overwhelmed, when tribulation's going on, lead me to the rock. Why? Because if I'm left to my own devices, I'm not gonna make it. I I I know that for a fact. I don't care how you look at me. I know for a fact that my own stubborn will is not strong enough to get me through my Christian life. And I'm stubborn. Look, I'm I'm gonna say this, please don't take it I don't mean it too arrogantly, but I'm just gonna say it. If my stubborn will ain't gonna do it, yours ain't either. Because I am so stubborn. I'm so thick-headed. I so badly don't want to quit. And I know I'm so stinking weak. Better men than me have quit. And that scares the fire out of me. You know how i going to have strength to get through the Christian life? Lead me to the rock. Ain't that where he was sent in Israel? And you got it even better than that. Your rock died on a cross for you. Your rock wants to build a church. He says to build a church on him. He's going to build a church on him. He said for you to build your house on him. A lot of, Christians, a lot of saved people build their house on the sand, not on the rock. Abide in him. Why? Because he's a shelter in verse number 3. Thou has been a shelter for me. Boy, I, I, I like that thought of a shelter. Man, storm's coming through the other day. You know what I said to the kids? I said, you better get in the house. I had to run up to the store. (laughs) Are you going to be okay? I'll be fine. (laughs) Get in the house. Why? It's just a safe place. You know, when it starts getting crazy in your life, you need to get to Him. I'm not just talking now about Prayer. I'm talking about something personal, something a little more personal than that. You know what your house should be? It should be personal. You know, you can't just come walking into my house. You understand what I'm saying? My first church in Illinois, man, we were in the parsonage. It was the church owns the house right behind the church. And we lived there, and me and my wife were downstairs. And I don't know, Anna was tiny, six months old or something. And I don't know where she was, but we heard bang, 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 bang upstairs. Come upstairs and walk in the kitchen. We're standing in our our kitchen. That's where we live now, right? There's a kid from the church bouncing a basketball on the floor in our kitchen. I said, what are you doing in here? We're allowed to come in here. Our parents said, church owns this house. I'm like, listen, sweetie. I live here. You can't just come walking in here anytime you want. Yes, we can. The last pastor let us. Well, I ain't hireling like him. Get out of here. They say, you can't just come. Why? That's my shelter, man. You know what you do? If I come to your house, you know what I'm going to do? And if you come out on the porch to talk to me, that doesn't offend me. They didn't let me in. You don't have to let me in. It's your house. You didn't invite me over and then come out on the porch and say, you know, let's come over. If you say, come over and sit on our porch, I'll come sit on your porch. It's your house. You understand what I'm saying? That's a shelter, man. That's a safe place. It should be a safe place, especially a Christian home. You know what the Lord is? He's a shelter. Sometimes I can't pray. Me and Dave were talking about that the other day. He so, said, you know, when it just kind of gets like that and it's not all coming at once and you want to pray, but you just kind of don't really have the words or even the thoughts or know how to put the thoughts together. You know it's nice to know? Well, you, you're there You're here. You're in here. I'm in in you. I'm talking about just a knowledge that you have a heavenly Father and a Savior. He's yours and you're His. And He's at the forefront of your mind. And you're keeping Him there. It's a shelter to run to. And a strong tower from the enemy. That's a place you crawl up in and you're safe. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a tax coming in your life, a tax coming on your children, tax coming on your home, and if you don't know how to abide in Jesus Christ and get close to Jesus Christ, the devil will get advantage of you and of your family and of your children. I don't have time tonight to start trying to even spell out some of the things I might have learned. I'm not even 100% sure I know that much about it all. But the things that I've learned, I'm telling you, man, he is so good. You know, he is so patient. Your enemy, I'm talking about your enemy, the devil. He is so patient. He will wait 10, 15, 20, 30 years to tear your family apart. He will wait 15, 20 years before he gets you into infidelity and ruins your marriage and ruins your testimony. He'll just keep you moving just those little steps down that road just a little bit at a time, justifying it, making excuses for yourself, making excuses for your sin, letting it go, not dealing with it. He's patient. You know what you need to learn to do? You need to learn to abide in Jesus Christ and stay close to Jesus Christ, because if you get real close to the light, when he tries to get some dirt on you, the light exposes the dirt. and it keeps you safe. You've got to stay close to Him. He's a tower, a strong tower from the enemy. I ask him daily to keep my family safe. And I'm not just talking physically. I ask him daily to help my marriage. What's going on, preacher's marriage falling apart? No, it's not. But I ain't stupid. I've seen it. And I, it scares me. I'm glad I got a tower I get to draw up close to. You know what he is? He's a rock. I'm telling you. I'm telling you what he is. He's a rock. Man, everything else is falling apart, coming unglued. The storms are coming. The lightning's cracking. The thunder's hitting. The winds are just tearing everything up. I mean, the whole house can just blow to pieces, and you look down, and that rock just hasn't moved. Don't you kind of like that when you're falling apart? To get around somebody that isn't? (laughs) Especially if you know they care about you. That's God. Look at verse 4. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. You know, that one makes me think of that abide in thy tabernacle. That makes me think of the church. You know, there's strength in numbers. You know why you need each other? Because when we come here, isn't it pretty solid? Don't you know what to expect when you get here? No matter what's going on around you in the world, no matter what changed at work, no matter what changed in your personal life, no matter who flipped out and isn't the person you always knew him to be, that happens. You know that, right? There's a steady, there's a, there's a compass. And you know what has supposed to be when we come in here? You know what's so good for these little kids? It's so good for these little kids to come to this church. You know why? Because it's a rock. Not because we're so great or we're so strong, Because we're standing on Jesus Christ. He said, Thou art Peter, and upon this, I'll build my church. They know what they're going to get when they come here. It's a a compass for them. It's a steady for them. It's a shelter for them. It's fellowship. He said, I'm going to worship. I'm going to get close to you, Lord. I'm going to abide in you, and I'm going to worship. Listen, I'm going to make the point and move on. Commit right now, Again to being faithful, to be in church. Commit to it. Make that decision and don't let anything change your mind. Because you need it and your family needs it. And I'm telling you, when the Lord comes back, you'll get rewarded for being faithful to get here and hear that Bible preached and get your kids under the sound of Bible preaching. Keep yourself planted on the rock. He's the one that built it for your good. Yeah. And then you get too busy or you get offended or something don't go your way. Or, Come on, man, really? He said, I'm going to worship. That's what this is about. You know what worship is? It's sacrifice. You know what happens when you come and listen to preaching like this? God says you need to give that up. You need to stop that. You need to change that. And you're constantly, because you're still in the flesh, you're constantly having to give Him another sacrifice. That's what you do when you come to the altar. You're You're putting something on the altar for Him. That's worship. Worship requires some pain. It requires a sacrifice. That's what we're doing here. Listen, abide in him. Don't get away from him. Do not allow the devil to drive that wedge because I'm telling you, you need a rock in your life. You need something steady in your life. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of the future. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I because if you'll put me on that rock, I'll be all right, but if you get me away from that rock, I am not going to make it and neither will you. Notice the covert of thy wings in verse 4. See how personal that is? That's secret. It's your personal walk. Now look at the last point, and we'll be done. Look at verses 5 through 7. If you're led to the rock, then you need to be attending to prayer. If you're led to the rock, you need to be abiding in him. If you're led to the rock, you need absolute strength, faith in the strength of that rock. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. Remember what I told you happened in First Chronicles 17 before the victories of 18 and Second Samuel 7 before the victories of 2 Samuel 8? God made him a promise. God didn't let him do what he wanted to do, but God made him a promise. What was that promise? I'm going to prolong his life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth that they may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. You know, you have to have faith in the rock. It takes faith because it ain't always going to go with your feelings, I promise. You see, building your life on your feelings is sand. The sand of your personal feelings, the sand of your personal opinions, the sand of your personal experiences, the sand of your personal relationships, the sand of your emotions, the sand of the brethren. When you're overwhelmed, the sand is not going to do it for you. When you're overwhelmed and you go to some brother and you try to get comfort from him, if you've built your life on them, what they say is going to hit you the wrong way. Do you know a lot of well-intentioned brethren just say the wrong thing? Now, if your feet are on the rock, you're going to be charitable enough to recognize they didn't mean it that way, and you'll take it as a blessing. But if you're on sand, if you're all about people, if you're all into people, if people are important to you, and people this and people that, and people, 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 then I promise you, When your heart's overwhelmed, you're going to get blown off into the stinking ocean, man. You're done. But if your feet are on the rock, you know. You know what God's trying to say to you. And you know that he hears you in verse 5. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. You know what he knew at this point? He knew God has heard him pray. He's talking about the past. Has God answered prayers for you? Man, God's answers and prayers for me throughout my life. You do not have time for my stories. I mean, I've had big answers to prayer. I've had little answers to prayer. I know this much in looking back. I was thinking about it today, and I want to wrap up quick here. I I, I don't have time to tell you, but I was looking at it today and looking back at years ago. I'm talking 21 years ago. God was doing things in my life in this area. My dad was still pastoring over there. And God was doing things back then to prepare me for now. God had little ways of showing me that God wanted me back here. And looking back, I can see, someday if I have more time, I could tell you the stories. Looking back, I can see God had done some things in showing me that if I had to submit to Him and get back here, He'd do something. You know, that helps me. That helps me nowadays when... You know, all the attendance was down this morning. Well, okay, so so what? (laughs) Didn't God show you 23 years ago what He was going to do? Yeah, He did. Hasn't He been faithful? Yes, He has. Then you know what He's going to be? He's going to be faithful. So when troubles come up and struggles come up and your heart's overwhelmed, you don't get off the rock. You have absolute faith in the rock, and you stay on the rock until things turn around. And if they never turn around, you stay on the rock. Thou hast heard my vows. God hears your prayers. Look at verse 5. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. You know what I have? I have a goodly heritage. I'm thankful for that. That word heritage, that kind of goes with inheritance, something passed down to you. Hey, you want to know something? We've had some stuff passed down to us. We're not just making up all this stuff. Somebody taught me how to rightly divide the word of truth. Somebody taught me the King James Bible is the word of God. Somebody taught me what old-fashioned preaching is. Somebody taught me why we sing the hymns of the faith and what what the point of them is to how to judge the doctrine and recognize whether or not we're singing something that brings glory to God. Somebody taught me to be in church. Somebody taught me to live right. Hey, I got a goodly heritage, and I'm thankful for it, and I want to pass it down, but I can't if I get off the rock. I can't if when my heart's overwhelmed, I just, oh, I'll give up, feel sorry for myself, just get blown about, lead me to the rock. Why? Because I got absolute faith in him and in his ability not only to hear my prayers, not only that he passes stuff down to me, but that he can use me to pass it down to somebody else. My life is going by, and it's going quick. It seems to be going quicker. I don't have that much longer to try to get the the truths that have been given to me out to other people. I want to do my part. I have to have faith that God is using me to do that. Or I'll quit. Notice something else. Verses 6 and 7. He's giving me eternal life. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Well, I mean, he's saying that. and He knows it to be true. But how much more do we know it to be true? You've been sealed by the Spirit of God. You know, I have absolute faith in that. I don't doubt at all that I'm eternally secure. Man, that's encouraging to me. You know what? You know what's neat about it? I do what I do for the Lord because I want to. That's that's awesome. I want to get up and read my Bible tomorrow morning. I am looking forward to it. I mean, the coffee's always set, ready to go. A little Keurig there first, so it gets quicker while the other one's perking, and we go get going. Amen. I mean, I. I look forward to that. I'm not doing it to try to maintain my salvation. I'm not doing it. I'm not saying stay close to God and safe from the adversary into that tower and abide in him. I'm not saying pray or any of this to keep your salvation. I'm saying do it because he's so much greater than anything in this world, anything the world could offer. Hey, when your heart's overwhelmed, get to the rock and stay with the rock. Because I promise you, you would rather serve Jesus Christ than sin and the world and the devil. I promise. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, it will later. I promise. Notice he has amazing mercy, and I have absolute faith in that. Will oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. You know, I I have absolute faith in God's mercy. If I didn't, I wouldn't confess. Why would I go to God and say, listen, Lord, I know I got off track. I'm really sorry if I didn't believe that he was going to be merciful to me. You know, some of you got a problem with that. Some of you look at yourself and your sin and you judge it so harshly that you judge it unjustly because you go so far in it that you get so wrapped up in yourself and what you've done and how terrible you are, you, 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 that you become selfish about it. The devil gets advantage over you. Kind of harsh, ain't it? Hey, what you're saying is God won't forgive me if I'm really sorry? Are you repenting like Saul or are you repenting like David? Saul's always feeling sorry for himself. David's putting his absolute faith in the God of mercy. Boy, I got absolute faith in a merciful God. And you know what that does to me? That makes me want to please him more. It does not make me go, oh, God's merciful, let's go get high. It just doesn't work that way to me. Notice the last thing. He has given truth, and he'll give more of it. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You guys, we were talking about this in the lobby. Was it Sunday night? Sunday afternoon? About truth? Sunday night? You ought to love the truth. I mean, you ought to love the truth. The truth ought to mean more to you than food in your belly or breath in your lungs. The truth. What's the truth? I want the truth. Even if it's about me. Everybody accepts the truth about them when it's positive. Proud, arrogant little thing you how about when you say, well, you want to know what the problem is? Okay. Are you, you really want to know? Yeah, all right. Then I'm going to tell you what the problem is. You're the problem. Oh my kids. Your kids aren't the problem. Kids are kids. We, we, my wife and I crack up because we love watching the two-year-olds. Hey, look, none of your kids have ever peed in the toy box downstairs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> How's the pastor, you know? We crack up at it. Why? Because kids are kids. Ours were the same way. If the problem persists, they're five, six, seven. Maybe you need to find out what the problem really is. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Maybe it's you. Oh, my marriage. Okay. You really want the truth? I'm talking about truth. You love truth, right? Oh, preacher, we were talking about King James Bible and rightly dividing. I'm talking about truth. Whatever it is, I want the truth. Folks, if you'll be a people that'll love the truth, your feet will be planted on a rock. Thou art the man. You're right, I'm the man. Now, how do you do that if you ain't on a rock? Oh, he's a rock. No, he wasn't a rock. You see him in his prayer closet fasting and weeping and just melting down to absolute nothing over his sin? He wasn't a rock, he was led to a rock. And he stood on a rock. And that's why you know his name. The conclusion, verse 8, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. If you're led to the rock, the rock, lead me to the rock that's higher than I, then it's a daily thing. It's not a Sunday and a Wednesday thing. You're not in one week and out the next. You're a rock. Why? Because you're getting transformed into His image and other people look at you and say, man, you're a rock. And you're like, no, I'm not. I've just been copying one, standing on one, walking with one, sheltered in one, abiding in one, attending to one, and I have absolute faith in one. And as a result then, I'm going to daily perform what I told Him I'm going to perform. And I'm going to praise Him. And you know what your life starts to look like after a while? It starts to look like a rock. And other people come along and say, man, you guys really got it together. And you're like, (coughs) we got you fooled. No, we don't. We've just been led to a rock. Because of him, we're standing in the right spot. We're making it through. We're going to be all right. He's got it. But you got a desire to get to that rock. And if you don't, you don't have a prayer. All right, we'll stop there tonight. No invitation.